Heavenly Father, we once again, Lord, want to thank you for this day and for this special commemoration. Lord, uh, we don't want to ever take for granted the privilege that we have in coming together as a body and the freedom that we enjoy in being able to do this. And Lord, um, we, we're thankful to you. Thankful, Lord, that you've provided the the place for us to meet and the the uh, fellowship here. And Lord, we just continue to ask for your blessing and for your wisdom in carrying out your your mission and uh, doing what you'd have us to do in this world. We do pray, Lord, um, just as tonight we'll be looking at some verses and considering evangelism. And we do pray, Lord, that you open opportunities for us uh, as a church to minister and even as individuals as we're going about our routines, uh, show us opportunities in which we can serve and serve the gospel to those who are in need. We pray that you provide the opportunities. We pray that you prepare hearts. And Lord, that you save souls. And Lord, we pray that it bring glory and honor to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'll tell you what, I think what I'm going to do, I'm going to start with verse 27, so I think I will just start there, kind of assuming that everybody's familiar with the, with the story. I, I mean, I'll give you a little synopsis of the first part of it, but um, instead of reading through it. But this is where Jesus meets the woman, the Samaritan woman, at Jacob's well, and as I Mentioned before, these things are significant. Um, those two things I just mentioned, the fact that she's a Samaritan, first of all, because um, the Jews didn't think well of Samaritans at all. Uh, Samaritans were descendants of, hmm, what would you call them? I don't know if a lower class or... or uh, in the Babylonian captivity, when they carried the Jews away into captivity, they took basically the cream of the crop. That's why you have, for example, Dan- Daniel. Daniel was a very gifted uh, individual and um, was recognized as such. So he was, you know, the king snatched him away. He wanted him. And so that's kind of what they did. They, they took um, the ones they wanted that they thought would be useful to them and left the ones they considered to be, uh, you know, the, the lower class, the, the not so desirable. Well, those people that remained uh, eventually mixed with um, the foreigners and the Samaritans, what came to be known as the Samaritans were a product of that. And they also had uh, a, a, a rival, basically a rival religion going on. They were supposed to, it was supposed to all be part of Judaism, but they had set up uh, a different place of worship in, in, uh, in Samaria and considered Mount Gerizim to be the place to worship. And that's why she mentions it here in her discussion with Jesus. Um, and they didn't accept all of the Old Testament prophets as being uh, Scripture. They only accepted the books of Moses. Genesis, um, Genesis, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they saw that as Scripture, but they, they rejected the rest of the Old Testament. So you, so you kind of have, uh, well, you did have a, a rival religion, plus they were you know, half-breeds, outcasts, basically. So the Jews had a very low opinion of the Samaritans. But, as I mentioned last week, this was the quickest route to move from Judea to, uh, to Galilee and the commonly traveled route <clears throat> to get there. So here Jesus and his disciples 
are going down to Galilee, so they go through, as John says, they, they, they have to go through Samaria, or they must needs go through Samaria. <clears throat> and Jesus encounters this woman at Jacob's well. So first of all, she's a Samaritan. Second of all, she's a woman. And it would be a, a little unusual to just strike up a conversation for a man, strike up a conversation with a strange woman, again, especially since she's a Samaritan. So now, her, she and Jesus have this conversation. We, we talked about all of that last week. He offers her living water. Um, you know, starts out by asking her for a drink because they're at the well. She came to draw water. And then he uses that to, to uh, talk to her about living water. And he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that's speaking to you, you would have asked him for a drink, talking about himself. He would give you living water. So now... Um, she appears to, she's definitely greatly affected by the conversation, appears to, to become a believer here. So, verse 27, where I want to pick up tonight. Remember, while all this is going on, his disciples are gone to buy food. So he's alone at the well with the woman. And they come back finding him talking to this woman. So verse 27 says, Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already, the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me, all that I ever did. So, when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay, to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Amen. Stop there. Um, I mentioned last week that one of the things that we're seeing happen here, and, and we see evidence of this again in verse 27, because the, the uh, disciples are astonished that he's talking to this woman. So one of the things we're seeing happen here is Jesus living above the cultural biases, or I guess we would say you know, the prejudices. He's living above the prejudices that are at work um, in, in speaking to, again, first of all, a Samaritan, also a woman. So you've got a combination. Samaritan woman, Jesus is, is speaking to. 
uh, in spite of the way that the Jews looked down on them. The disciples evidently are, are hesitant to uh, uh, really question him about it. So <laughs> it says, uh, um, they, they marvel that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you see? <laughs> so I guess that by this point they're already have some respect for his authority and afraid to say much, but, but they marvel that he's talking to a, a woman. Um, now, I said last week, that's, that's going to be important for us too. Um, living above societal prejudice, prejudices or biases. I, I've, I've been going through this, this book on uh, missions, and that's, that's one of the things that uh, has done great harm to uh, missions efforts over the centuries. Is, is um, I would put it simply, an attitude of superiority. A lot of times, even even the missionaries who would be going into a given area to help, and you know, to to, to reach people, um, would still carry with them this attitude of superiority, and, and it's uh, detrimental. I mean, it's difficult to hide that, and, and so it's definitely something that that we got to be uh, aware of and 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 uh, and fight against. It was a it was a big problem in this country, and and uh, ministering to the Native Americans. And I think you, you still see the, the, the uh, consequences of that today because, um, you know, there's, there's not, there hasn't been like a, a, a great revival, so to speak, or uh, convert or mass conversion from the, the Native Americans. And, and there's a lot of other countries where that, they experience that same kind of thing. Europeans mostly would be the missionaries going in, and, uh, and they would sometimes confuse the mission in other words, they would think it was their responsibility to take civilization uh, rather than their responsibility to take the gospel. And, or, you know, and they would try to do it hand in hand, but still putting too much emphasis a lot of times on cultural distinctives. And then they would carry this, this uh, attitude of superiority often. So, you've got to follow Jesus' example here and stay above the biases and, and reach out to all. There was, a, there was an article in uh, last... The last Baptist message about some churches having uh, joint services, you know, predominantly white congregations and predominantly black congregations um, coming together in, in different places, different cities. And I know of one, uh, I'm sure there's, no, I know of two, I know of two uh, in Shreveport area that, that have done this. One of them does it on a kind of a regular basis. But they're, they're perf- coming together to make an effort to fight that, that very thing. Uh, just just the uh, the cultural biases and prejudices, and and that's a that's a good step. In fact, the article uh, I was trying to remember how it worded it, uh, something like heavenly worship or something to that effect, and and uh, that is the idea. You, you you get everybody together, and you got a little piece of heaven because that's the way it's going to be uh, on the other side. All tribes, kindreds, tongues, all peoples gathered to worship Him. So really the church should, in an ideal situation, the church should reflect that here. And, uh, and so often, you know, so often it doesn't, which, you know, <laughs> we're not, look around, you, you can tell that, and we're not, we're not that unusual. So, I mean, this is the way it is. So we've got to make an effort to fight those things and make sure that we, we're faithful to reach out to everybody, regardless of, 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 of sex, regardless of um, ethnicity. 
uh, our cultural background. And, and by the way, that's, opportunities are growing. You know, I see people all the time uh, around from, from different uh, cultures that we would have never encountered, maybe, or very un, you know, would have been very unlikely to encounter maybe 20 or 30 years ago. We've got so many people uh, migrating in now. It's amazing, from, from, and, and, and openly displaying their, their, uh, their culture or whatever. So the opportunities are growing. Um, also, uh, not just the ethnicity, but like we pointed out here, you notice, uh, again, uh, sex. He did, because it's a woman, he, he doesn't pass over her because it's a woman. Uh, he reaches out to her, and uh, that was, believe it or not, that was quite an astounding thing to them. They marveled that he was talking to a woman. Um, it's, it's funny, I think in, in the Scripture, sometimes you hear people say, well, you know, they, they had a really... Um, they really devalued women, uh, but you know, as I read through the scripture, I see a mixture. Uh, sometimes that's that's the case uh, in, in some of the cultural settings. Sometimes um, women have more of a role and more of a uh, you know play more of a role. But uh, nevertheless, they they did have some kind of uh, cultural divisions there that we don't have. I mean, they didn't they didn't worship together, for example, uh, in, in in the Jewish synagogues. You know, they were separated. Men and women were separated. All right, so he's 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 crossing these barriers. Jesus is, and he's just reaching out to someone in need. That's what he sees as someone who needs him. Now, in talking with her, and this is this is our goal as well. In talking with her, um, she winds up essentially doing the same thing. I mean, we're fixing to see what what's what's basically the first evangelist here. <laughs> this woman in verse um, 28 so the woman left her water jar that's interesting John doesn't explain that but the reason she came was to get water and apparently the, the conversation you know affected her so much that uh, she forgot what she came for or she was just in too much of a hurry or you know figured she'd just give him that drink he was asking for or whatever but she left her water jar went away into town and said to the people Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Boy, you got that's a great example. Like I say, essentially the first one, other than the disciples, when Jesus would call the disciples and they would go tell somebody else. Um, you, here, here is a person, a, a, again, a Samaritan, no less, not not a Jew, who's who's evangelizing. Boy, this is the heart of evangelism, right here. Let me let me tell you about a man. Who told me all that I ever did? In other words, she's she's telling people what Jesus has done for her. She she's no uh, she's no theologian at this point, if she ever was. Um, but she does know this: she's been greatly affected by this encounter with Jesus, and so she takes that to the people. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And she's either genuinely wondering there or, or that's kind of a rhetorical question. It's like saying, uh, you know, this is, this is obviously the Christ. Who else would have this kind of knowledge? And so she's spreading the word. This Samaritan woman is out spreading the word about Jesus. And a woman who, John tells us, has not exactly been a model citizen five marriages, and is now 
living with a man. Today they say in a relationship or cohabiting or something like that. They always, always make those things sound, sound a little more respectable, right? A little clean them up a little bit. But she was living with a man that she wasn't married to. So probably in that culture, um, she wouldn't have been carrying on a whole lot of conversations with the people because she would have been shamed. Uh, but uh, now she goes back telling the people. She's, she's telling the people about Jesus. She's making conversation. And verse 30 says, They went out of the town and, and were coming to him. And that's interesting too. At her testimony, she goes out and tells them, Come see a man who's told me all that I ever did. And people start coming out. They went out of town and were coming to him. And, he's, and, and John's going to come back to that. We'll get a little break in that account. And now we're back to Jesus and the disciples in verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Now remember, they hadn't eaten, so they go, to, they go into a town to buy food. And while they're gone, Jesus has this conversation with this woman. And they come back at the end of the conversation with the food. And so they encouraging now Jesus to eat. Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Now, when he talked to uh, this, this happens a lot, and I think John keeps giving us these little these little uh, instances like this. When he talked to Nicodemus about the new birth, where did Nicodemus' mind go immediately? Physical birth. Oh, what am I supposed to do? Go back in my mother's womb and be born again? When he talked to the woman about living water. Her mind immediately is on physical thirst. She says, give me this water that, so that I won't have to come to the well anymore and so that I won't thirst any again. She's not thinking in spiritual terms at all. And that's the same thing here. Jesus says, I have meat to eat that you know not of. And immediately his, his disciples' minds go to literal meat. Verse 33. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And you know, they're thinking, just like Nicodemus and just like the woman, they're thinking he's not making sense. <laughs> where do he, he says he has meat that we don't know about? Where you know where is he got stuff in his robe or does somebody bring him something? You know what's he talking about? Verse thirty-four. Jesus said to them, "My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work." Now it makes you wonder if he doesn't have in mind there uh, the scripture: "Man does not live." By bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So he's he's saying my my meat, my food, my sustenance is to do God's will. This is what sustains me. So he's not talking about uh, at this point. He's not talking about physical meat. My um, I have food that you that you don't know about. He's he's saying there's something else here driving me. And all the while I'm, I'm doing, I'm, ab- I'm about that. I'm doing that. I'm doing, I'm taking care of business. Remember when he was uh, 12 and uh, he goes up to Jerusalem with his family and they leave, and it's kind of hard to imagine leaving your child behind, but, they were, but it was a whole caravan of people. And so they thought he was with relatives. But they, they leave him behind and travel one or two days before they realize that he's missing. And they go back to Jerusalem searching everywhere for him. And this 12-year-old young man is in the temple dialoguing with the, with the, with the doctors there. And not MDs, but, but doctors in the law, doctors in Mosaic law. 
dialoguing with teachers, rabbis. And his parents are a little disturbed, you know. Don't you know we've been looking everywhere for you? And Jesus says, don't you know that I must be about my Father's business? And he's, he was always about doing the will of the Father. That's what he lived for. That's what was driving him. And one reason he's, he's uh, saying this, of course, is because it should be the same way, <clears throat> same way with us, with the disciples and with us. So he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So, God has a mission. And His, His mission is to be our mission. Or you can turn that around. Our mission is to be His mission. In other words, we can't, we can't have a mission of our own and methods of our own. It's all, it's all got to be wrapped up in, in doing the Father's will. And that's what Jesus is saying. My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. He sent me on a mission to accomplish, and Jesus says, I'm, I'm, I'm all about accomplishing it. That's my mindset. Now, he expounds on that a little bit. In case you're wondering what the mission is, in case the disciples are wondering what the mission is, and it's almost like a, uh, uh, a subtle rebuke or at least a, uh, at least a warning to not, not get distracted. Now, don't, don't get too focused on worldly things and temporal needs and get distracted. And he does that with this little analogy here. Verse 36. Do you not say there are yet four months then? Uh, four months then comes the harvest. So there's a, there's a time from, from planting to reaping to harvesting. And at this point, uh, I'm assuming that you know they're they're four months out from harvest, or at least they are in his analogy. Probably literally are. He's saying, wouldn't it be right? Wouldn't it be correct? Now, don't you say that there are four months till the harvest? But look, he says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. So he says, in, in your mind, you say there's. Four months to harvest, but I'm telling you, he says, the, the harvest is right now. And notice how he says, lift up your eyes. Look, look. Don't be distracted. Don't be blind to what's going on. Look, look at what God is doing and start reaping. And in fact, this is one place the analogy kind of falls sharp because you do. If you go plant, and Ms. McMullen knows this well, you go plant, it's, you're not going to you know, come back five minutes later and, and haul in the harvest. But that is kind of the way it happens spiritually, or at least it can. Jesus is telling them, I mean, because part of what they're doing is out here planting, they're taking the gospel, but at the same time, reaping. While we're planting, there's reaping to be done as well. The harvest is, is coming in. So that's why he says, um, you know, lift, lift up your eyes. Look, look now. The harvest is right. In verse... Um, 35, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So he's saying the reapers are already at work 
and gathering fruit into eternal life. And that's the goal. That's the mission. That's, that's God's mission when He says, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. That's the mission. Gather fruit for eternal life or, or into, literally, eternal life. And that's what He wants the disciples to see. Look, look! Lift up your eyes. The reapers are already at work, already receiving wages and gathering fruit into eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. You see the... The the uh, how they're how they're it's happening at the same time. You have sower and the reaper together rejoicing as the harvest is brought in, and because they're both involved in, in accomplishing the work. He says in verse 30, uh, 38, I sent you to reap. I'm sorry, verse thirty-seven. For here the saying holds true: one sows and another reaps. So different. Different individuals play different roles. Some sow, some reap. They both rejoice together uh, in, in uh, bringing in the harvest. So he says in verse 38, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors, their labor. And it's hard to, to know exactly what he um, has in mind there, but... Um, I mean, there are a couple of ways you can interpret that that make sense. For example, maybe he has in, in view the, the prophets of old, all the way up through John the Baptist. And he's thinking, all of these guys have been sowing, 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 sowing. I mean, this stuff's been going on for uh, over two millennia now. And God's been working among His people. He's been sending His Word through His prophets. And they've been sowing and sowing and sowing. And now, here you guys come on the scene, you know, this ragtag group of twelve here, and you're going to get to reap a harvest that you didn't even labor for. You just, by God's grace and in God's timing, you're, you're just on the scene at the right time with the Messiah. Maybe He's got His own work in view. Maybe, maybe it's His way of saying, you're going you're gonna to reap the labor of another. Maybe the other is, is Himself. He's saying, I'm, I'm doing the real work. I'm the one changing hearts. I'm the one that's going to really bring them in. And you're going to get to gather the harvest that is the result of my labor. You have entered into the labor of another. You've entered their labor. Now, while, 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 they're, while they're distracted with worldly things and worldly needs, you know, they're all getting food, which, by the way, is not a, you know, not a sin. I mean, it's not a bad thing. Uh, but nevertheless, they, they missed an opportunity, didn't they? they? They're taking care of physical needs. And while they're doing that, Jesus is all about the Father's business. And He seizes an opportunity to minister to a Samaritan woman. Now, they totally missed that. Now, I think, in fact, they didn't even understand it when they came back and saw him doing it. They didn't even realize what was going on. So I think that's why he says, look, lift up your eyes. The fields are white, ready for harvest. He's saying, get to work. Start, start, start gathering the harvest and rejoicing with the sowers. Start enjoying 
the Father's work, the Father's mission. Engage in it. Now John goes back to the to the Samaritans here in verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And I think what we're seeing happen here is John's giving us this real life um, happening. You know, Jesus encounters this woman and talks to her about living water and about genuine worship, worship in spirit and truth. You know, he tells her that he's the Christ and she runs off and tells, tells the townspeople and they're all coming. And then in the middle of that whole account, he puts in this analogy. And Jesus is telling the disciples, and Jesus inserts that in the middle of all this happening, this analogy of sowers and reapers and says, look, the, har- the, the harvest is white, ready, ready, ready to harvest. So this is what's actually playing out. The Samaritans are coming in. They're believing. And he's saying, look, lift up your eyes. Many Samaritans from the town believed in Him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. That was her testimony. He told me all that I ever did. That's, that's, that doesn't sound like a great uh, evangelistic catch line, does it? I mean, it's something that you can use and go and grab people's attention and get them. <laughs> but all she's doing is saying what really happened. She's just telling them what He did for her. And they come. And they come. Now, we know, of course, um, I mean, this is an account where they come, but we know that's not always the case. Sometimes they come, sometimes they don't, they don't come. Sometimes it's uh, just an, an awakening breaks out. It's amazing, amazing to read about those things in history, like, like the Great Awakening here in this country in the mid-18th century. Fascinating. Fascinating. But then other times, just spiritual drought. And, and, and theoretically, the, the same people could go out with the same message and fall on deaf ears. That, of course, is uh, left to God's sovereignty. But here's a case where they're coming in, and it's the, and it's the least um, likely ones from, from, from the Jews' perspective. Th- these are not, this is not the crowd the disciples would have said, okay, look, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're to plant a church for the glory of God. So I, here's an idea. Let's go reach the Samaritans. It's the last thing. The last thing they would have done. Because of their bias. Because of their prejudice. But these are the very ones um, that are receiving and coming in. So they're coming based on the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. There's a, there's a great example, by the way, of women's ministry. A lot of times we we you know we we've taught we've had, we've done classes and stuff in the past and talked about uh, women's role in ministry and men's role in ministry. And um, really, there's there's not a great deal of difference until you get down to to church government and teaching. I mean, there's a difference, but you know that's that's where it really uh, takes on a, a <coughs> uh, you know you, the different roles really come into play. But as far as just telling people about Christ, that's a responsibility of every Christian, every Christian. 
I was uh, one of the one of the accounts I read this past week, and it was brief. So I mean, it didn't have a lot of detail, but still a fascinating read. But um, was about Lottie Moon, you know, the celebrated Southern Southern Baptist uh, uh, missionary in China, and just amazing. Even even <laughs> at least from some of the things that I read, even by today's standards. Um, she would have been thought of as pushing the envelope a little bit too much. And she, I mean, she did. She got some criticism. But it didn't, didn't stop her. She, she took the gospel to China. And, and, and she and a lot of, you know, there were several women that I read about this week. She and several others of them were constantly asking, where are the men? In other words, they weren't trying to, 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 uh, take over something or whatever. They were just the ones that were willing to go. One woman, I wish I could remember her name, but she was riding, uh, she, did, she was there for decades, she was riding bicycle from village to village, sharing the gospel. And she said she would sometimes, you know, get um, frustrated and she would pray and say, Lord, men ought to be doing this. Men ought to be riding a bicycle down these old dirt paths. Where are they? But she just kept on pedaling and kept on sharing the gospel. <laughs> and people were saved. So here's, here's a woman taking the gospel and people are responding. And then in verse, uh, verse 40, So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. So they, they came, I mean, they came to check him out because of the testimony of the woman. But now it says many more believe because of his word. That is, they had a, they had a one-on-one or you know, personal encounter with Jesus themselves. It wasn't, wasn't second-hand info. And everybody in here knows, I mean, we've all said, we all know, are aware of this, but I mean, you, don't, you don't have a relationship with Jesus through somebody else, like your mother or your grandma or whoever it is. I don't care how godly... That other person may may be or may have been. You have to hear him speak yourself, and and you have to you have to respond based on um, who you personally know him to be, understand him to be, who who has revealed himself uh, through his word to you um, to be. It's got to be a one-on-one personal thing with Jesus. And that's what happens here. Now they believe because of His Word. And they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And I don't think that that's you know, like a, a rebuke to her. It's just a, it's just a confirmation. I mean, they're saying, you know, first we came to check it out because of what you said. This is their way of saying, you're right. Now we see for ourselves what you've told us is true. And we believe this is the Savior of the world. This is the goal of, of missions right here. Because we, we, we can only go so far. There's a lot of work to do. But we can only take a person so far. And I think we ought to use every, every means that God blesses us with. In other words, we, we can engage them in conversation, we can do our, our, which we should, and we can do our very best to persuade them, which we should. But ultimately we know, right, that only God can save them. And then at some point they have to surrender. 
we can't we can't make that decision for them, and we can't save them. We can't change their heart. We can only take them so far, but we must take them that far. The woman did what she was supposed to do. She went out and told them about Jesus. And then they checked Him out for themselves. And because they heard His Word, now they believe based on what they heard Him say. In other words, based on their own personal encounter with Him, they now believe. So they're saying to her, you're right, you're right, but now we believe not just because of your testimony, but because of what we heard Him say ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And that, that phrase is interesting too. When you think about the, 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 the larger context, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah coming to primarily the Jews. And He says of His own ministry, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So that's, that's primarily what He's going to focus on is the Jews. And yet John has already um, shown us um, through the mouth of John the Baptist, that he's the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world, and now he calls him the Savior of the world. These Samaritans say, we know this is the Savior of the world. And that phrase is embedded in the context of Jesus reaching out to Samaritans. Half-breed Jews. So in other words, the message that the evangelist John, the author of this book, is communicating to us, the message that the Holy Spirit is communicating to us, is that the Gospel needs to go out to the whole world because there's one Savior. The Samaritans don't have a different Savior than the Jews. The blacks don't have a different Savior than the whites. Africans or whatever they are, you know, Australians or Canadians, they don't have a different Savior than Americans. There's one. He's the Savior of the world. So he has to be... He has to be the one proclaimed. Everybody has to be reached with the message about Jesus. And I think that's what he's talking about when he's talking about doing the will of his Father. In other words, that's God's mission. That, that's the food that sustains him. Accomplishing God's work. And he wants the disciples and you and me to have that same mindset. That this is what drives us. This is what sustains us. Reaching the world for Christ. So that we take the message of Jesus, tell, testify concerning Him and what He has done for us and, and, and showing them His Word. Testify to them regardless of their sex, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their nationality, regardless of whether they have good manners or smell good. Or anything else. Just take the gospel to them. I mean, some of these missionaries went to people that didn't even wear clothes. <laughs> so, so you, there's, people are different out there in many ways. But then again, we're the same in a lot of ways. And that's what's being illustrated here. We all need Jesus. Nicodemus, with all of his prestige, needed Jesus. This woman at the well, with all of her shame... Public shame needed Jesus. The Jews needed Jesus. Samaritans needed Jesus. Still that way today. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. And we do pray, Lord, um, for empowerment to do what You've called us to do. Lord, for uh, the mindset 
to be Christ-like in these things, having our, our faces set, minds set to do Your will, being about Your work, accomplishing Your work, Your mission being our mission, reaching the nations for Christ. We ask for wisdom in doing that, power in doing that. And Lord, uh, thank You for the privilege of being included in doing it. And pray that You're glorified through it all. In Jesus' name, Amen.